1: Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com.
3: Here's Spironi who rolls the ball out to Cannon. He's got options in front of him. He picks out Thomas. This is a nice looking move from Palace. That's a neat ball to Ambrose with space on the right. Good turn. He crosses into Johnson. Oh yes, back of the nest.
1: Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm your host as we look back at a busy Christmas period for the Eagles. Uh, since our last show, which was the incredible win against Manchester City, Palace have drawn at Selhurst to Cardiff, lost to Chelsea uh, before an away trip to Molyneux saw two late goals grabbing a deserved three points against Wolves. Finally, we return to Selhurst, where another late goal saw the team progress to the FA Cup fourth round at the expense of Grimsby. We'll take a look back at those games and spend some time covering the topics and questions that you've sent our way ahead of our first show of 2019. The panel tonight is Mike Scott, Chris Clark, Patrick O'Connor. We'll be with you in just a moment.
3: Love our podcast. Listen to our live radio show on Love Sport every Thursday, 7 till 9pm, 558am, 5, 5, DAB Digital Radio and online, lovesportradio.com. It's
1: very saliva heavy during that. Sam, I don't know what happened there. Maybe, is, a, is there a filter to remove saliva? It's terrible. It's going to happen throughout the show. I should never have started eating pre-show and still have food sitting there. Just... Obviously, all I'm going to be thinking about is food. You have to keep this in mind. Um, anyway, <laughs> so let's have a, a quick chat, gentlemen. Introduce my panel, of course. Sir, uh, first up, Mike Scott.
0: How you doing?
1: I'm delightful. You?
0: Yeah, not bad. Uh, obviously, had a few drinks after the ga- well, a few drinks before, during, and after the game yesterday. So I feel a little Yeah. And my accumulator has been narrowly ruined by Rotherham after their very narrow seven-nil defeat to Man City. <laughs>
1: what did um, you have that game down as?
0: I had that down as a draw. Uh, oh. I don't know what possessed me, other than it took what I was going to win up by about four times. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's been it's been an alright day. I've recovered and I'm back on having a sort of repairing beer now. A bit of hair with a dog yeah. going alright. So it's You
1: had a bit of a you know usual your usual back problems yesterday. Um... As I I pointed out, pack with a bad back doesn't really work, does it?
0: No, um, but then when you are six foot five, it comes with the territory, doesn't it, really?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I I don't know. I am not quite (laughs) that (laughs) tall. Okay. Also here we have Chris Clark. Hi, Chris. All right, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was uh, well? how, How are you recovering after yesterday?
3: I've had such a lovely sleep, Chris. It's It's been really good. I, I got home. Um, actually, I, I'm going to tell a food story as well because um, the other day I, I managed to buy a Heston Blumenthal bit of pork that um, required a little bit of careful uh, preparation. I decided to cook that last night. Um, woke up about three hours later having incinerated it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that's that been my dinner this this evening, which was also my breakfast and my lunch, because I didn't get up till five PM. So, no, yeah. well,
1: it's a it's a difficult tightrope to walk, isn't it? The uh, the drunk cookery, uh, but there we go. Such is life. Yep. Uh, and Patrick, hello, hello. How is the good old Uf- U.S. of America?
4: <laughs> it's fine, actually. Um, nice uh, day today. I was going to play golf this morning, actually, but then I remember I had to do the show today, so. I'm a little, um, I'm not gonna say upset, but a little downtrodden. It's about forty-five degrees here, and I couldn't play golf. But you know, got to do what you got to do in life, right? So I'm here.
1: Well, that's exactly it. And <laughs> I, I, I feel, I feel that we have cost you golf, and um, <laughs> you have. And I, will oh, you're right. I'm gonna say I, I'd, I'd like to say I feel guilty about it. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I just, I, you know, I, I sort of care. I mean, I like golf. I'm not very good at it. I like it. Um, but having seen the scores that you keep posting on social media, I'm
4: kind of glad I don't have to read that today. <laughs> so, All right, free up uh, play for that.
1: Anyway. anyway, that is my lovely panel. Um, I just want to quickly address the uh, Back of the Nest website. Um, that is, of course, going from strength to strength at the moment. Uh, if you go to backofthenest.com, there's loads of articles going up there at the moment. Uh, Chewy, Michael, uh, has... Um, done a fantastic job who's sort of collating that on behalf of all the authors out there some fantastic work going into that and it's just you know it's just building a bit of momentum we wanted to launch it quietly and just sort of build it up and get a good library of stuff on there and it's um, really impressed with the work that the guys are doing and obviously the other thing you can do through our website is access the podcast so make sure you tell all your friends if they have trouble accessing the show or anything like that or you want to direct them to a way of engaging with us then send them to our website. Mike, you got your hand up?
0: Yeah, and if you would be so kind, if you do enjoy us, please just give us a nice five-star review on iTunes or wherever because that's the best way of getting the word around.
1: Thank you. It is indeed. Well done. And we have had a few of those uh, since we... I, well, I say we asked quite nicely and then I got quite aggressive about it pre-Christmas. So I'm gonna not going to do that this time. But uh, thank you to everyone who responded to my uh, desperate pleas. Um, it's just, yeah, all we want to do is just keep spreading the word of the show. We've got loads of people who listen and engage with us every week. But, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who haven't reached yet and we'd like to do so. Uh, before we get into talking about the matches over the Christmas period, I just want to address the fact that clearly we've lost three players um, from the squad over the last few days. Um, the first of those that we'll talk about is Johnny Williams. A lovely tribute at the Grimsby match. Um from the HF uh, so a couple of rows in, in front of that. And it was very, very nice very, very heartfelt. And I, I know that it's something that Johnny has seen as well. I'm, a, I'm aware of that. And, um, you know, we had a very brief bit of correspondence with him as well, where we wished him the best and he thanked us for uh, for support over the years and all that kind of stuff. So I think he's left in such a, a classy way, but anyone who's ever in, engaged with Johnny will know that that's what he's like. And it's so, you know, it, Obviously, he's not died. it <laughs> just feels sad that he's um, that he's no longer part of Palace after such a long time. And um, you know, I think everybody was just desperate for him to succeed. And I think the worst thing over the last couple of years is is watching people. You know, some people who may not have have sort of seen him sort of grow up through Palace, who have been just that little bit disrespectful and slugging off the club for club for giving him a contract and all that kind of stuff. you kind of just if you take the emotion out of it what's the point in football and it, and it really annoyed me so part of me is glad to see him move on and hopefully get some games despite the fact it's at, at Charlton
0: and uh very recently he's become a bit of a bit of a celebrity with the Sunderland till I die thing um that's going so amazingly and uh I think there's a lot of people outside the palace that um he's got on the radar for and uh you know, because he comes across in quite a sad way on that. Uh, there's a lot of people that have, uh, have sort of got real feeling for him. Um, and there was so much stuff on Twitter, you know, from Palace fans saying how gutted they were. It, it is sad, but I, I think it is probably for the best and I hope he does really well. And it's good to see that he's already played a game for Charlton.
4: I just want to add also uh, is that um, I've got a like a little connection to the academy stuff. Um, as I've said in the past before, when I... When I Grew up in England, I live in Thornton Heath, and I used to go to all the matches of the academy, because back then, the youth team would play a lot of matches at SLS Park. So I grew up watching Kenny Sansom, and I'm dating myself, but Vince O'Leary, Terry Fennec, Peter Nicholas, Billy Gill, Gilber- but all those guys came through the academy. So I really have an attachment for that. So I, I really, always, really want the young to do well. So I really loved what Johnny did. Again, again, like you, Chris, I was a little upset at so many people slagging him. The, the club off offer, give him contracts, but you've got to understand, you know, if you've got a connection to the to youngsters, you really want him to do well, and he did so well, and I feel so badly for him because, again, like Mike, I saw the son until you die, and, and the point when he's talking to psychologists about being injured, you can see in his face he's so upset, and you just feel for him, and I really feel for him that, to me, he really didn't make it here, not because he wasn't good enough, because he got hurt, and he didn't never got a chance, so I wish him all the best, I'm going to miss him, like I said, I, I always want youngsters to do well, I really hope that he does well I'm not a Charlton sport in the least at all, but I really hope he does well at Charlton. I really hope he and the team does well, because he deserves that because he's a really good person.
3: Just to echo a lot of what has been said by the rest of you, I mean, Johnny, obviously, you know, he's Palliser and through. He's, he's a, a lovely bloke. and. Yeah, his character shines through when when you do see him speak, and you know there's that the final interview uh, on the palace website now, which if you haven't seen it, you should check out. Um, the the other, I mean, there's there's two things. As a club, um, it's a frequent moan that people make, which is that that we're too sentimental. That we bring back old players, or the fans call for you know previous players to come back. Um, you know, Yannick, um, Victor Moses, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on, and and many many others like that. Um, and obviously, Dougie in his job keeping Julian on as a goalkeeping coach. But as you said, Chris, sentiment is what football is about, and it's a, it's about a tribe. It's about a a group of people, um, and you know, Patrick's touched on the local thing there as well. That you know, we are a Croydon, a Thornton Heath, a Selhurst, a Norwood club. That's what we are. We are South London, and you know, so basically that what i'm saying is sentiment has a really important place here and i think you know we we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves for being sentimental about someone who was a very very talented young player was a part of that promotion team and yeah tragically didn't really get the chance to show what he could do at premier league level maybe in the future hopefully he will get that chance
1: yeah absolutely right and i think you know he's he's someone who's performed at international level which shouldn't be ignored as well and you know there's certainly an argument to say that you know over the last 12 months or so maybe he should have had more opportunity at Palace you know is he is he that far off the pace I don't, I don't think that he is when I've seen him you know play what little football I've seen him but obviously the management are the are best place to answer that question but yeah I, yeah just to sort of to, to hammer the point home I, I don't want to be part of anything where you know we we take the sentiment out and we just operate solely as a business but it's funny how people have that that opinion of it becomes a movable feast as an opinion, doesn't it? It's either you're too sentimental or you're disrespectful to people. or There doesn't seem to be any middle ground or anything like that. So, um, I think, you know, for me, you go back to, I know when we spoke to Dougie as well, um, a, a few years back and he talked about the pride that he had as, as manager, when we beat Brighton three, one, uh, and the, and the two strongest performances were, were by, you know, Zaha and, um, by Johnny Williams and, and you know Johnny ran that game I think it was his first full appearance um, if, if I'm right I'm, I think I'm right and um, you know that level at that stage we were really talking about who was going to be the better of the two players and it just shows you it's, it's bad luck more than anything because we've talked about this before on the show most of the injuries he's had certainly in those early days which hampered his development were were impact injuries they were nothing to do with um, any fault of his or anything like that he didn't you know, he's been, called, you know, it's been said he's made of glass and all this kind of stuff. Well, those early injuries that sort of put Pate to his development were were nothing to do with him being made of glass. They were to do with really poor challenges. And the sort of most recent one of those a in a friendly game against Bromley. I think it was. It was an absolute shocker. And you just think, how unlucky can one guy get? Um, and a little bit on, on that Sunderland thing where, where, you know, we were actually due to speak to him on the show I think he was going to come on and do part. I think it was around Christmas we were going to get him on to have a little chat, talk about how he's going and all that kind of stuff. And he and he picked up an injury then. And he was, you know, he, he just basically said to us, like, he's just so down at that point. He was so down about that injury that he just effectively didn't want to really engage with with football at that moment. He was so, so frustrated. So, you know, your heart goes out to someone because as a person and as a player, he just deserves so much more. But he's, what, 25 maybe coming on, twenty six. Plenty of time left in the game. Uh, really hope he has a nice sort of injury-free rest of the year, rest of the season. And like you say, even if it means Charlton succeed, you know, he, he's that well thought of that no one will begrudge that at, at Palace. So, best of luck to Johnny, and um, oh yeah, I'm so glad we've been able to give him a, pr- a proper tribute as a as a club and as a, as a fan base. And I haven't watched that goodbye interview because I, I can't. <laughs> right? um, I've seen lots of people's reactions to it, and i last thing i want to do is uh, is upset myself by watching that maybe i watch it in a couple of years but you never know so the second player is left uh, jason punchin um i think i mean on this show he's he's had a bit of stick over the years but it's never something that i personally have really been keen or or, or agreed with i think it's been something that's been up for debate what's really important to recognise with punchin is just how much of a positive impact he's had on the club since he joined us. He joined as a, obviously as a winger, as a wide player, and we saw him sort of develop and become a, become a playmaker. And I think for his best two or or three seasons at Palace, he was hugely influential. And let's not forget at one stage, at his absolute peak for us, there was talk of England recognition as well, uh, which was, which would come very late on in his career, but he was playing at that level in the top division. And, you know, we've all seen the pictures of him as a kid in a in a Palace kit. Um, again, one of our own, a, a proper Palace player, pro- proper influence behind the scenes in a positive way. And, you know, he's another one who deserves every tribute he gets for, for what he's done at Palace.
4: I'm an absolute 100% unabashed fan of Jason Punch and have been. I uh, had many times on this show in our chats, had to defend him from other people, which is fine. But I just want to say to him People listening, just how how much I loved him as a player at Palace. Great leader. The emotion he showed in two particular times, I will never forget. The goal against Tottenham, when he scored, when he beat Tottenham at home, and he ran and he was crying and everybody's around him was f- phenomenal. And the second one, when I was there for the FA Cup final, when he scored that goal, and I was near you, Hambo. <laughs> um, I looked up to the sky and I, I started crying because mm-hmm. I actually thought Chris path were going to win their first ever FA Cup. That moment, I will never forget. The rest of it is heartbreaking, but for him, his emotion, his, his what he did towards the manager, just everything about him, I just, again, he wasn't the perfect player, he, he you know, but he, for us, he was such a great leader. I was glad he was made club captain. I'm upset some of the sticky he, he took after you know, he was taken out by certain managers later on in his career because he wasn't doing it. Then obviously got hurt last year. Now got back into uh, the current manager's eyes and, and that's fine. But again, just just the for me personally, he saved us, I think, at least two seats from going down, almost single-handedly. Was brilliant, put on some great performances. The Cardiff goal was brilliant. The free kicks against May night in Liverpool fantastic and I just never forget him as a player and I'm, I'm just really glad that again a player who's a local kid did so well for us and I'm going to miss him and uh, again I'm not a Hustle fan I won't root for them only because the chances of they do well they might send Palace down but on a personal level I hope he does really well I'll miss him I'll be getting a chance to give him a tribute at some at some point. it's a shame that he's left the way he left wasn't able to get a, a good farewell from the fans but I'll, I'll really I'll always enjoy the time he was here and I wish Jason Punch a lot of luck in the future
3: that's word for word pretty much what i would have said the, the only difference being that when i when i started to cry um after punch scored that goal in the cup final it was because i i was certain we were going to lose it the moment we went ahead that was for me you know it, it was it was special and it was tinged with a feeling of tragedy coming um and looking at what Punchin's contributed to palace i mean as you say patrick um he he has single-handedly saved us on you know, a number of occasions um, and with truly memorable goals. Um, you know, his, his ability to strike a dead ball, I, I can't think of many Palace players who have scored goals as good as he has or as many as he has of that memorable quality. Um, the emotion you know, just shone out in terms of his passion for the club and for the fans and you know, yes. You know, there, there has been a decline, and you know, we were talking a little bit actually about earlier about that sentiment thing. I think I think we need to be really careful to not to under appreciate the massive contributions that he made in early in his time with us, um, before you know ending up pushed to a, pushed to the side, frankly, later on. Um, I think we'll miss him big time. I like you, Patrick. I hope he comes back and that we get the chance to uh you know show our appreciation for everything he's done for us because he's a club legend as far as I'm concerned
0: the um the difference probably with punchon is that he you know he has been in the plans this season um you know he's come on I don't know I don't know how many games he's played this season, but he's been part of a fair few um so I think he possibly in the immediate future will be missed a little bit more. Um you know from memories obviously I've blocked the FA Cup out a bit more but um the winning goal against Man City the, the I guess the last time we beat him 3 4 years ago uh sticks in my head as does the amazing foul on uh, De Bruyne against Man City as well. Um but yeah I I, I think he'll be <laughs> I think he'll be missed but I also think it's probably good for him. Um because, you know, he's obviously still decent enough, still fit enough to be getting game time for Palace, but he's, he's underutilised. And, you know, Huddersfield, desperate for something to change. So, um, I think it's probably a decent sidestep for him. Um, and I hope he does well. I mean, I, I don't know whether he's going to walk straight into the team, but um, I think he's made a wise decision. And I don't think, um, you know, Palace is going to leave his heart. You know, he's, he's clearly local lad and that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm sure at some point he's going to find his way back for some kind of job um, behind the scenes. I don't doubt that for a minute.
1: Yeah, sure, definitely, and, and I think I mean obviously it is, it is a loan, but I think you know I, I, don't, I don't think he'll play for Palace again personally. But I think you know, um, I, I, you know, I can't. I can only really echo what's been said. I, I Up, you know, the, the Norwich goal as well is one one that wasn't mentioned that, you know the outpouring of emotion there it was my screensaver for quite a while. The sort of celebrations after that—it had been a while since he'd scored, and it was—you could tell it was playing on his mind—and just the relief. But it was such an important game for us to win as well. So there's so much you can sort of talk about with Punch. And I think you've, you 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 hit the nail on the head where you talk about the fact that because in recent years he has been on the sidelines, it it almost does get forgotten. And again, you get that disrespectful thing, don't you? Where you have a, a certain group of people who always just like to talk about the fact he used to point a lot in game so that's because he was organizing it It's like seen as a stick to beat him with and you just think again have a bit more class than that when you're talking about people who've contributed that much to your to your football club um but you know at the same time it, it's, it's worth acknowledging that he certainly had ups and downs in terms of form and, and and you know his importance in the actual side but as a as a man as a as a leader as someone who's of, of strong influence, he's played such an important part of our recent history. And what is, people seem to tend to forget is a very successful recent history as well for this football club. You know, far more successful than the majority of our history, um, which again, is very easy to forget at times, I think. Okay, so that's uh, Johnny Williams talked about, Jason Punch and talked about, and uh, the other player that left was Jordan Much Right, moving on. and. Uh, <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> um, I don't want to. It's not that I I, I think, again, I've been talking about respect and all that kind of stuff. Um, However, this is the other end of the scale, isn't it? I'll say say what I want to say, and you guys are welcome to say what you want to say. But, you know, we we signed a a player for a a decent sum of money that had not had a move workout at QPR, but had been very good for Cardiff at the top level. Uh, and in particular, he linked really well with a player we'd also signed, which was Fraser Campbell. So as much as people like to use much as a, a stick to beat the club with for poor signings, you can actually see the logic in it. He had performed at the top division level. He had a link with a player we'd just signed to score goals for us. Neither of those moves particularly worked out, but much in particular was all about him and his failures. It was You can't look at his failure to make any real impact on Palace and say that it was down to a manager or down to the team or down to a lack of support from fans or whatever anyone wants to think. It is primarily down to him and his attitude. He's one of those players who, if you've ever gone and watched the under-23s and watched the overage players and you've watched Jordan much, could not care less. For a second he was on the pitch, couldn't care less about earning his money and about, you know, being an example for the younger players or anything like that. I can remember watching Adelaine Guediora play in the, for the under-23s and absolutely bossing the game, continuously talking and encouraging the players around him. He's barely getting a look at Palace. He would have been within, within his rights to have a sulk and what have you, but he was a professional who worked incredibly hard for every second he was on the pitch, no matter which part of Palace he was playing for. Jordan much the polar opposite, seemed to think that we owed him a living and I cannot say how happy I am to see the back of him. One of our worst ever signings. And I don't blame the club for it. I blame Jordan much for it.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm slightly different in that I'm just indifferent. Like, I, I know people, you know, there's there's loads of gifts going about, you know, uh, huge rejoicing uh, people, like putting party gifts up and stuff. He's already been a non-entity in, in Palace and certainly in my life for, for ages. So the fact that, you know, he's, left by it, mutual consent. Um, you know, it's not going to make any difference to anyone. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was quite interested because, you know, he was talked up a fairly large amount um, when he went over to Vancouver Whitecaps. And let's not, let's not ignore the fact that he didn't do anything there either. Like, he was crap there. Like, he ended up not keeping his place at the Vancouver Whitecaps. So we're we're talking, like you say, about a man who doesn't look like he's that interested. You know, he hasn't done anything when he was at Reading either on loan. um, And I can't imagine that he's going to do anything for whoever he ends up signing for. So we're probably giving him the oxygen of publicity more
4: than we should already. And I'll add that, like, Mike, I don't, he's a non-entity to me. I did, I will say two things. I, I reveled in Chris's dislike of him. I actually found him quite funny. Um, And the second thing is his, his only, I always feel that players have like a moment at a club that you remember them for. Uh, Even if, you know, and my only moment that Jordan much is the missed kick versus Stoke. That Chung ended up scoring a great goal on. That's the only moment I remember much making any contribution yeah. to our club. So he's gone. knew we he was here. And uh, you know what, I'm not gonna say good riddance, but I'll just say goodbye.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I will say good riddance. Chris, you, you loved you loved him, didn't you? He was one of your favourite players. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um what can I say about that? I mean, there there were let's let's just say non footballing reasons why I didn't like him as well. Um, yeah, which may have a touch of politics involved, so I won't won't go there. But um, yeah, really not a fan. Um I do remember him making quite a good cross for I think it was a Connor Wickham goal. Um, a couple of years ago, but that was literally the only positive thing that I saw him ever do deliberately. Um, he's no loss. Uh, good to have his wages off the bill, and yeah, hopefully, we can sign someone better next time. Said,
0: there was a weird. Just, just want to add, though, that um, he did briefly interact in my life when the, I saw his hair transplant. Um, and that did make me smile for a little while. So if he's done anything for whatever he cost the 4 million quid, it's making me smile for that incredible <laughs> uh, hair that he, he managed to get into. <laughs> um,
1: oh, I don't know. It, look, it, he, I can actually remember when he joined us, I think he had a relatively average game or something like that. I can actually remember, I can't even remember what I was writing for at the time, but I wrote an article with the, uh, the terrible headline of much more to come from Jordan. And um, I was convinced we'd get him physically fit and we'd see the player that played for Cardiff. You know what I mean? I was absolutely convinced of it. I thought, because QPR was such a ridiculous club at the time. You could see it was in decline. No one was going to succeed there. But just imagine the disappointment of, of what we saw. We've already given him too much time. You're absolutely right, Mike. Bye, Jordan. <laughs> so let's let's delve in to the Christmas period. So we played, um, since Man City, we've played Cardiff, we played Chelsea, we played Wolves, and we played Grimsby. Very, very cu- quickly, want to touch on the Cardiff game. So it was a bit of a, um, a, a summary of that match. I'd say, you know, if we went into it on a high, from the Man City result, dominated the game from start to finish, but just couldn't find that goal. Uh, in those opening exchanges, there was a really good pass and move, kind of, uh, well, move we put together that saw Andros sort of just clip the ball over the keeper and hit the bar. Um, that goes in. It's a totally different game, in all honesty. I think we get, we end up comfortably winning it because uh, the game would open up. Uh, second half closest we got was a free kick from Luca that, that hit the post uh, quite near to the crossbar as well. So almost top corner, but not quite. Numerous other chances in that game. But I think the, my, oh, my abiding memory from the match was that the final whistle... Hearing the roar from the Cardiff support and thinking, "Well, hold on a second did did they score a goal I wasn't aware of? Did, did what happened there?" And then uh, seeing Neil Warnock motion to the players and for them to go and throw their shirts into the crowd was breathtaking. Um, but obviously, I think we made the big time. Uh, very frustrating game, but um, but yeah, I've got I've got nothing really much else to say about that. that well, and,
0: and Warnock talking about afterwards how they were they felt that they. They'd been hard done by him. They were quite unlucky, um, which I just can't believe that he even thought was true. Um, yeah, it, it was a frustrating game, but at the same time, um, it's very powerless to beat Man City 3-2 and then pull out a 0-0 against Cardiff. And, and let's be fair to them, they've had some decent results recently, but um, they're, they're not yeah. by anywhere near, by any stretch, the worst team that have come to sell us this season. So,
1: Not at all. And they obviously the next game, they went and beat Leicester, didn't they? He would... Uh, who had beaten Chelsea and City? Uh, if I think I am right in saying so, yeah, clearly, clearly not a terrible team, and you know, you know, you know, Warlock he's going to organise a club well, um, but it was just, it was just a frustrating experience. I've got some, some, uh, some stats from that game, um, and uh, I will welcome your comments on these, Gent. So we mustered thirty-one shots in that game, the highest tally of shots in a Premier League game since two thousand three four our 31 shots was the joint most Cardiff have ever faced in a Premier League game level with their clash with Norwich City which also ended 0-0 hmm, sure there's a thing there uh, that was three consecutive home clean sheets the first time we've done that in the Premier League since April 2017 uh, the game was actually the first ever Premier League meeting between two managers aged over 70 So uh, Neil Warnock was 25 days over 17 and Roy is 71 years and 139 days on the day of the game. Um, Each of Roy Hodgson's five Premier League games on Boxing Day have ended
3: 0-0.
1: And that's Warnock unbeaten in 10 away games at Sellers Park. 1-6, drawn 4. So not really had an awful lot of success against him. There we go, gents. Patrick, 31 shots.
4: Yeah, I wanted, I'll i touch on it later on, but I just think one of our bigger issues is that, you know, we just seem to play... Well, we obviously have a, a finishing problem because we don't have a, a striker in form. No offence, Jordan, who's done a great job last couple of matches. But um, I just think we just set up better away from home. I think, you know, you allow teams like Man City to get possession away from home, you know, you're going to do well because we counter-attack. We've done that for years. That's how we play. So that's a lot of shots to not score. And that's, gonna, that's going to... Be an issue, but I do want to give a shout out to our defense, and I will include the midfield. I think overall, all season, I think we've got like eight clean sheets now. I think it's like third or fourth in the league. We've done a fantastic job, and whether it's been Hennessy or Guaita, and you know how much I love Guaita, I think I've got to give credit to our back four. I think Sacco, Tompkins, Van Holt and Wambasaka have been fantastic all season as a unit. And you get you add Luca as a shield in front, of Kiate. You know, macca working his, his socks off and the rest of the players, in the midfield Andros, etc. Zaha. I mean, you gotta give credit to our defending, it's been really good. But again, that's an issue for us, I think, going forward. We're gonna to have to convert. You cannot have thirty one. I think it's now sixty nine shots, I believe, in the last for the, the four matches without you know, with only one or two goals. We've got to do a better job of converting. Hopefully we'll get a striker in that can settle that.
1: Yeah, I mean we we gotta hope so. I, I don't know if a striker completely solves the problem, but that's something Agreed. that we'll, we'll get into in a bit um, as we look at some of the other games and the, and the more recent matches. I think, you know, from the game, I think, you know, when you look at the, the tactics and the game plan, I haven't really got anything to say too much on that because it's not like when the Chelsea game we'll talk about in a minute or how we potentially approached the situation when Grimsby had a player sent off. It's not like I think we did anything wrong with the game plan. I think this really was a case of the setup being correct, us creating plenty of chances and just unfortunately not taking
0: them. It is important to say as well that he ended up being the keeper getting man of the match. Um, so you know, it, whilst it, whilst we did have a ton of chances, um, you know, it, it's it's still on a knife edge in those kind of situations, um, and he did pull out an absolutely masterful save to stop us losing one nil, and that that would have been a horrific result. Um, so that that's my. One abiding memory from the game,
3: really. Just drawing out on the stats that you threw out there, Chris, and um, thirty-one shots. The, what's remarkable for me is that actually, when you compare <clears throat> this performance with the with some of the previous ones and some of the ones that have happened since, there's a remarkable continuity in terms of the pattern that we we do create quite a lot of chances and take a lot of shots but we don't score that is the pattern here so the the number that i wanted to throw out there was um 29 against burnley so we had 29 shots against burnley and you know obviously the difference is that you know we were fortunate one of them went in um you know so it's just interesting that there are you know we create chances but we don't score and that and that's that's really going to be the nub of this discussion i suspect is how do we get to a point where we score well
1: well, let's get into it now because, you know, we're talking about it, so we may as well. I think for me, there's a couple of things to consider. First is the type of chances that we're creating. So first of all, you can't you can't say we're not creating good clear-cut opportunities, but you can draw a correlation between the fact that every striker in our system under Roy underperforms. There's, there's not... You you know, Benteke doesn't score goals in the system. IU struggled to score goals in the system. Wickham, you know, when he has played, has looked ineffective. Um, Pretty much any, you know, Serloff has just completely, from starting as looking like a relatively promising signing, and and we'll talk more about him, you know, he's completely gone off the ball. No confidence. And I think every single striker that seems to try and spearhead whatever attack we play seems to lose form and confidence very, very quickly. So for me, that's the worry. If we're creating so, so many great chances, why cannot well, can none of our strikers score? Because it can't just be that they're all poor finishers, because demonstrably some of them aren't. It's, um, that's the concern for me.
4: Well, Chris, these are my thoughts. Um, under Menteke and under previous manager with, with Menteke was playing well. I thought he put a lot of good crosses in. I thought Zaha Townsend back then put a logables in. Back then, even Belassi would put balls in. I think that one Basaka and Banahol can crosses in, but we don't do that. If you notice a lot of time when we get the ball out wide, we will always look to play ball back inside to MacArthur or Luca, recirculate it out wide again. But we don't put a, a, we don't put what I would consider a lot of crosses in. Now I understand with Ayu, I can understand that. When even yesterday with Saw I thought we could have put more crosses in and he had a great chance that first chance, that you he know, head off the line. I mean, we didn't put a volume across in when you think you put it in for a, a striker who's that big. Now Credit to Ayu yesterday, did a great job with that header. But we just don't seem to put a lot of volume in. And I think the chances we're creating are, are really cre- creating chances like outside the box. Kelly had a ton of shots yesterday. So did Dan yesterday. Our centre-halves had more shots than our strikers did. And I think that it's just a style of play that um, that Hortons has put in. And I think your point being is that his Hortons' system doesn't really set up for a, a number nine. It's for a forward to get into positions... Where he might get a little a ball in uh, from Zara in a box, or a ball in from Townsend, or a nice pass in from Maya, but it's not really set up for volume crosses and headers, and I just think that that's a problem for us. I mean, historically we have thrived with a big number nine like a Benteke or even a Wickham who would you know get plenty of chances and get balls. I was watching, I watched a Don't Ask Me Why, I watched a woke-in Watford match, and um, just you know just to watch a game and. Uh, Deeney's got a great goal, the second goal, and it wasn't great because he did anything great. It was a, a ball got to the, to the byline, the player crossed crossed it, and, cut and crossed, cut in front confronted the defender and just tapped it in. Very simple. The kind of goal you'd see a million times an old centre-forward trying to score. If you watch Solop play, he never gets across the last defender, ever. And it's frustrating, and I'm thinking that we just don't do that maybe our is just to play the ball a different way and I think we put more balls into the box whether they would be high balls for headers or low balls across the box we'd score more goals and I just don't think the system we're playing now is for that he wants to possess the ball play it around the edge and then look for you know shots from outside the box that you know may or might fly in you know Townsend but I just think we just our system just isn't set up for us to score a lot of goals even though we do quote unquote create a lot of chances
0: That's a great point I'd probably go further and say um, not only is a target man not really suited to the system or the systems that Roy plays, um, but a sort of uh, getting behind the um, defender, Jamie Vardy style striker doesn't really suit it either. Because Agree. We play a kind of um, almost a a pseudo-arsenal style of uh, attacking at the moment. You know, it might be on the break, but otherwise, um, you know, it's, it's a patient build-up and we've got a defence that's very capable of playing the ball between them now, um, a midfield similarly, um, and then, you know, the threat will come from some silky skills either side, um, but that doesn't really play to the strength of either type of striker. So, that... That means that obviously anyone we've currently got is going to struggle, but then anyone we try and get is going to struggle as well, um, and that's going to you know strikers are going to be aware of that, um, and I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for anyone to integrate in. Um, so I'm not even sure that getting a striker in is going to benefit us in any way. You know we've got we've got some decent ones. It is I saw a Twitter poll today, and it was you know who, who would you want to see starting. Uh, well it was properly mixed amazingly 6% of people voted for Sirlock. um but uh you know it was it was something like 40% ben you know and then ayu and and wickham uh about the same obviously ayu at the moment with all the jokes about the greatest of all time and that kind of stuff pretty entertaining he's doing well um but the the goals he scored he got lucky with the header and the other one really that goal wasn't a striker's goal. It was being in the right place at the right time and a great touch. Um, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that the, the striker issue is is one that can be resolved. But at the moment it's not a problem because we're sitting nicely in mid table, lower mid table. So
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely right. And um for me, it, it just there's been a couple of comments being made and, and I'm gonna throughout this I'm gonna talk about the um, the way in which Roy's comments after the game have slightly evolved over the last few weeks. Um, but, he, you know, after, after the most recent match, he was talking about, you know, the desperate need for a striker and getting someone who can score something out of nothing. And as soon as I heard that phrase, and again, you don't, you don't want to overanalyze because it might just be a throwaway phrase or, you know, a stock phrase or something that just popped in his head at the moment. But if he's actually thinking that you, you want a striker who can score out of nothing, it kind of means... You know, it, it kind of suggests that that he doesn't want us to have a game plan that creates specific types of chances for the specific type of striker that we've got, and that's really what I'm driving at. If you look at the players that we have available, it's it's what are you doing to to get them the best type of opportunity, and to sort of emphasise what I mean, we go back to many years ago when we were talking about Dwight Gale and analysing the type of sh- type of goals that he scored. And they all all tended to be goals where he was running onto the ball, um, but not necessarily in behind the defence, but just running onto the ball in in a decent position. And for ages, we weren't creating those types of opportunities for him. So it was kind of a waste having a player like that, because you you think, and I'm sure people do, they do the proper analysis of the players you've got at your your disposal. What you don't want to do is take a player who's good at something and try to train them to do something different, because you might as well have not assigned them. You know, you. So for us, we know Benteke is incredibly strong in the air, um, and he's, okay, he's he's reasonable at hold up play, but he doesn't run the channels particularly well. It's not it's not a good use of his time and his energy. So why would you then work a system that relies on Benteke to work to run the channels, and you don't put crosses in for him to head in? Those are, those are the two. You know, there's one thing he doesn't do well, and you make him do it, and there's one thing he does well, and you don't give him the opportunity to do it. So. Again, massively overs- overly simplifying, but that's basically the, the the argument I'm making. So to sort of move us through this, after the Cardiff game, Roy's comment was, I'm pleased about the number of chances we created. I'm not pleased we didn't convert one of them. It's something we've had to deal with for a large part of the season. If we had more fortune in front of goal, we'd be nowhere near where we are. We'd have assembled a lot more points. Football's about scoring goals and taking those semi-opportunities which good goal scorers find a way of scoring. There you go. That was his thoughts after the Cardiff 0-0. So we go from that into the Chelsea game. And uh, I would summarise that as follows. It was an unambitious un- an Palace who registered one shot at goal. That's one shot at goal, not, not on target. It's just one shot in, t- in its entirety in the opening 78 minutes before we had a little, a, little bit, a little bit of a late flurry. It was a terrible game for the home fans to watch as we focused on negating Chelsea, We scored through Kante in the first half uh, as Guaita couldn't quite keep out a shot following Kante's run in behind. So that's literally all I have to say about that. Uh, For the record, Palace failed to record a single shot on target in a Premier League home game for the first time since March 2017 versus Watford.
0: Well, that is a depressing start, isn't it? Um, The only thing i want to add on that game is, you know, for the first few minutes, um, it was quite encouraging to see that the sort of four-five-one formation that he tried against Man City, um, you know, he thought, well, may- maybe I'm going to push the- against the the teams at the top of the table like this, um, and all it showed to me was it-, it does mean that there is a bit of pliability, a bit of change in uh, in Roy's um, way of thinking, and obviously that came across in the Wolves game, which we'll get onto um, when he he did tinker, you know, with with the formation again. So whilst we lost. It did show me that he wasn't going to be totally married to going back to the four four two again. So that's all I can take from it, really.
1: No, I agree with that. And look, you know, the, the game plan and the, the way we set up, it was clearly that we were going to contain Chelsea, see if we can nick a point. And I don't really have too much wrong with that. But the way we went about it was just so so negative. I mean, it's over the top negative. And again, if you talk about the four five one, um, which he, which he employed, and rightly so, but I've got two things to say about that. First of all. You know Chelsea have gonna watch what we did against Man City and how we employed that four five one. So of course they're gonna look at how we created and how we broke sure, and stop us yeah. doing that, which they did, completely negated us, and that's where I wanna see creativity. And that's both in the players that we select and in the tactics. What we're gonna do when, when they do negate that? What's what's a, I hate to use the phrase plan B because people throw it about a lot, but what is the alternative to creating on the break through? wilf running or through well in this case we couldn't create through mayor running out because we put jeffrey schluck in for mayor so there was a couple of things that i felt strongly that we got wrong uh, in, in that setup
3: i often come out of uh, these games and you know pop into the glazes bar afterwards and start chatting with people and it always strikes me that the fact that different people see games very differently so everyone around me on the table was hugely depressed by that performance and i mean you yourself have used the word uh, unambitious chris i agree with that it was unambitious but i thought that was probably the right approach to take to that game you know to try and and control it keep it tight and see if we could nick one um and it, it did come quite close to coming off actually um now we were unambitious for a very long time, and it was frustrating that there wasn't a change until later. Um, but the, the 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 thing that I remember having a bit of a debate about on social media after the game was, um, you know, th- there was a, a widespread perception that we had just not tried at all. Um, that seemed to be, you know, or certainly that our tactics were too negative, including at the end. I thought, you know, on the last, from 78 minutes on, which is when Wickham came on, you know, it it changed the game because Guaita is really good at distribution. He he can kick the ball directly to a striker's head. You know, at a very very long distance, and he had no one to aim for until Wickham came on. When he did, that changed things. And I I thought that Chelsea were rocking and on the verge of conceding an equaliser. You know, in those last few minutes, we just left it too late to turn on that plan B for me.
1: And that, and that is the exact point. because And, and I said this after the game, because, oh, again, it was quite critical, but I also made the point that it, it was so close. It was such a fine line between being, well done, Roy, what a brilliant game plan. You've played that to absolute perfection if we nick a goal <laughs> um, and being the most turgid, boring excuse for a football match I've ever had to watch. It, that was literally the the difference. And, again, it seems... It seems I'm going to extremes by saying that, but it really was boring, you know? And and I think, and I'll get your views on on these comments, Patrick, because I think, not just because I think you and I think similar about a lot of things, but uh, yeah, be nice to hear someone else say what they think on this. Um, So Roy said after the game, I thought we worked as hard as we could have. We kept them in front of us uh, and they had the ball, but they were were creating goal chances. I don't know what he means by that. When, I think he may be, means they weren't creating goal chances anyway when they scored we had two options right yeah we had two options when they scored patrick either fly at it and risk conceding another three or four or keep it tight and try and win an undeserved point in the last 15 minutes your thoughts on, on those comments
4: so you know you've got my memories of that match flowing back yeah i think he played to lose one nil i don't ever agree with that concept at all i don't agree with it ever um I'd much rather we had gone for it and lost three or four, only because at this point. Mike mentioned before we're, we're mid, you know, mid to lower table. I'll go there business period of most teams below us. You've got to go for it. You're playing a whole match against Chelsea. Chelsea have a new manager, you know. They got the quote-unquote it, it sorry ball. I think they're as vulnerable as they've ever been to being beaten. They don't have a striker in form. You've got to go for it. I don't, I didn't understand those comments when I read them after the match. Drove me nuts. I couldn't believe it. He basically meant he played to lose one nil. At home, we created one chance. I don't think it was even on goal. That match drove me mad. Not because we lost to Chelsea, Chelsea is an excellent side, but as b as ever can be. And he admits that he basically played up to lose three or four nil. No, you've got to go for it. And that, those comments drove me crazy. And listen, <sighs> Roy's done a fine job, but certain things that he does drive me nuts. And that's a perfect example. You cannot tell me after that you basically played to lose one nil. Just you know what? Don't risk injury. Tell to the tell the football league, you know what, or oh, Premier League, sorry. Well, you know what? We'll take a one 0 now, but don't get very hurt and that's fine. That's what he's basically saying. Nah, those comments <laughs> don't fly with me. You can't do that. You have to go for it. Even if you go for one one, you lose, you know, you lose two, three nil. At least I could say, you know what, we went for it. You can't tell me that you didn't go for it. That's what he told us. That's awful to me. Really bad.
1: I I say, at the very least, if you don't tell the league, just tell me. Let me know. that up and go and take it and watch. Uh, yeah, I'll do something else with my day if, if we're not going to try. Um, I, I said, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious there, but the the thing is, you you do have to have the context, right? And the context is that we were – I'm doing inverted commas again, despite the fact that I'm on, on a recorded medium. We were in the game, right? <laughs> right until right the very end. We were in the, in the game, inverted commas, in the game. We, we weren't ever in the game. Um, and, yes, Chris is absolutely right in the sense that we did, did get a bit closer. And I think arguably the frustration was if we gave ourselves a bit more time attacking, we probably could have got something. But I go further and say what you said, Patrick, which is this isn't an unbeatable Chelsea team. you know. And, again, it's Leicester had just beaten them. Um, we we just handed them the game, and there's been a lot of re, sort of revisionism afterwards of people saying, "Well, it makes sense given the Wolves' result. We kind of chilled out a little bit and let it happen, and it seems to be, you know, it, it was the right call to make." But you, you just don't want to see it as as a fan. You don't want to see uh, you, you just surrender to the, to your opponent.
0: Well, all I would say about that is, you know, we've kept eight clean sheets or whatever it is this year, um, and I, I don't think. He's a big fan of deviating and you know going from one extreme to the other, um, and I, you know when when you've already got a well-honed defence, um, he obviously backs it, um, and to an extent we've been doing that for quite a while. You look, look back at the Spurs results; it's something like the last five games we've lost to them one nil, um, and sometimes it does come off. You know the nil nil against Man City last season. People talked about for well, we're still talking about it now, um, so. I don't have a, a great deal of animosity towards him for the result. Same as you, I got out of my chair at ninety minutes, thinking, "Sake, like I could have gone somewhere else today. This is a total waste of time." Um, but it's kind of his modus operandi for the other games, um, and that that bit of negativity, um, you know, just just not pushing up in the same way he did against Man City. He, he probably was kicking himself afterwards, but it it worked at, at Man City. Um, so you know it's small margins, and and I'm not I'm I'm I was annoyed as everyone else, but you know we've got a decent points haul from these last four games, so I sort of put it aside fairly quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely right, and I and I will say one thing is that I think the the frustration that I had and I have even now, as you can tell, um, is just is is increased by the proximity to the Man City game because Man City are a better team than Chelsea in my view and we showed, okay, what one of the goals was absolutely outrageous, but we showed that we could score three goals away at a fantastic team and then at home to, to essentially not try to score um, until the last 10 minutes. I think that the contrast made it feel so much worse than it probably is if you look at it in the cold light of day and take the emotion out of it.
4: And Mike makes a great point, but I want to go back... Um... You know, I can see that it's not in Hudson's way. But let's go back to um the Liverpool game looking at it right now. We go down 1-0, right? at half time James Milner, and we pushed the second half to try and get the point. And it was only to the 90th minute that they got the second goal. So we've done it in the past. We've shown that we can go for it with a you know being behind at home against a, a good side, go for it and not get and not get beat three four. And of course we could have lost three four nil to Chelsea. I'm just saying that looking back at this, the best game I can look at is a Liverpool match. We went for it and lost only two nil. So I, I didn't understand why he didn't try that again. I just that's that's my frustration. And then again, you guys paid money to go see it. I only got to sit here from a thousand miles or two thousand miles away and watch it. But to sit there and watch it, it was frustrating. Again, I don't have a problem losing as long as my team goes for. It. I just thought that time he just he did basically what we say in America. He mailed it in, and I don't think it was something we should have really done.
0: But well, I think he's got a, a, sometimes a misguided um, expectation that the forwards are going to create more than they do. Um, and he's hoping that they're going to, you know, nick stuff on the break. And so it often does look like it hasn't worked. Um, and that that's that's the way that he goes with things. So we are going to have those up and down moments. But yeah, I, I thoroughly agree. Like, I, as you say, like, could have flogged that ticket for, you know, back to, <laughs> back to, back, back to Paris for 30 quid. But <laughs>
1: Nah, look, it, it was frustrating, but let's not let's not overplay it. Because as, as has rightly been pointed out, it's been a pretty positive uh, Christmas period in terms of the points we've picked up and our position in the league. It's looking a fair bit more comfortable now. And um, like I say, you, you you can get really excited about the Man City result. And you don't want to get yourself too too downhearted about Chelsea. And in particular, because although I kind of poured a bit of scorn on it, we then, then go away to Wolves, who, who beat us at Sellers Park. And of course, we won 2-0. But for me, <laughs> it was kinda of head of the Cardiff way. Um, you know, we were up until I used goal and, and Will Slate run for Luca to get the penalty, um, it just shows that there's such fine lines in football because you know, many did see this this game as a, a justification for leaving a bit in the locker against Chelsea. And I think the consternation that would have would have met this game uh, had it been nil 0 not for that last seven minutes would have been massive. But I think, to, to, to also put the other side of it, it was actually a very impressively dominant display against Wolves. Very different to how we played against Chelsea. Um, and and the, the, the chances we created in the finishing, again, not great until the last seven minutes or so, but it was a deserved win.
4: Chris, I will say about that game is that Couple of things. Going back to what we said before, I totally agree, and I want to give the manager total credit. The haul over the holiday period has been brilliant. The points we've gotten have been brilliant. It's gotten us out of what could have been a very tenuous situation, where we're now four points behind Brighton, and uh, you know we've got a good distance between us and the, the bottom five or six. So that's great. What I'll say about the rules game is this: before the match, I was me. I personally thought it was a great opportunity to rotate the squad. Now people say to me, "What? Well, what would you have done?" Well. Again, hindsight being wise, you'll be 1 2 0. I'm very happy with that. I thought it was a good a chance to possibly start Wickham, possibly get Meyer back in the lineup, and possibly rest Townsend. And maybe, put you out wide? Because again, I think he's more of a wide player than he's a forward. Having said all of that, you know, even, I, I, I'm sorry, and even maybe rest MacArthur, who, by the way, has played every league mate game this season and has got a rest. Having said all of that, we won the match, and I'm very happy for that. But that was my main thing before the game. Post match, it was a great job by us to get the the point because at that point Wolves had just beaten Tottenham at Wembley, which is a tremendous result. They could have scored early. Bowley had a great chance, that header. They really should have scored, and they had they had they got that got one nil. I think we're talking about something totally different, but they didn't. And that's how football is. We took our chances second half. I thought we played really well. I thought some of the players that looked leggy first half played much better second half. So I think the result justifies what Hodgson did. I just really think, I'm going to go back to the point again, I just think that, I think our squad, though I think it's a decent squad, he doesn't rotate it enough. I know he played a lot of guys, uh, players they don't normally play, which is great for them, but I think if he got some players, some rest, the likes of Townsend and Macca, I think that long long term is better for us, but again, I'm not going to complain, because again, the, the points over the over the holiday have been brilliant, and we've got this also we needed to get, you know, put us clear of that relegation fight, and I think that's a great job by him.
0: I would say that the um, the 2-0 win over Wolves almost justifies the Chelsea result a little bit more um, because like um, Hambo said, um, it did look like it was going to be 0-0 and the way that he plays, the way that he sets up are such fine margins and it it just takes something like that schluck free kick um, to totally change things. Um, mm. So... That is clearly the way he works and that's probably why he can't be swapping these players out because he's got something that's such on a knife edge, you know, the moment you take out MacArthur, or as it showed in the Chelsea game, the moment you took out Mayer, swapped him for Schlupp, the whole thing didn't work. So he's kind of backed himself into a corner where he has to play almost a set eleven in order for these games which, you know, are sort of fifty one percent, forty nine percent either way sometimes um, that's that's the only way they're going to work because otherwise we're just going to be on the end of a battering. So he's, he's kind of in a no-win situation with that, with, with, with swapping players out.
4: And Mike, that's a tremendous point. Um, and I have to go within that. That's the, only, that's the thing I've got to get my mind around and, and so I can end my frustration is that you're absolutely right. We are extremely well drilled. We play a certain way. I'll give the back four tremendous uh, uh, kudos again because, again... Uh, the four of them play well together they're footballing uh, players that don't kick the ball out watch Sacco plays never never kicks the ball out always looks to play football and that's where they are drawn by the manager you're absolutely right about MacArthur he's a very important part of what we do my only thing is that um I'm worried about uh you know players getting injured but I totally get what you what you're saying about him we play a certain way we sub a certain way and, and it's very fine margins like you just said and if it doesn't work, you know, you can, you can, you could see why it wouldn't work. So again, I, I would give the manager credit for that. I've got to get my head around it because they frustrate me sometimes. But you're right. With without certain players being in there and doing certain things, it doesn't work. So you're absolutely right on that.
3: The thing that I would say um, about this game, particularly because you know, I mean, I, I did travel all the way up there, and that's what it's one of those. Um... Things that you were talking about earlier, Patrick, with uh, the you know the the cost, you know, we we often forget about this, but you know, if you're booking hotels and train tickets and all the rest of it, you know, it, it is a very expensive hobby um, that we have following a football team.
4: Exactly, exactly.
3: So with with this particular game, um, you know, I mean, I I got up there in the afternoon, uh, went to a very very nice pub before the game, um, and when when I did get into the ground and started watching, I was pretty sick. Uh, I I know that. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of positivity about that performance, but it felt to me until very late on that it was going the same way as Cardiff and the same way as you know other games where we have dominated but failed to score. And I was I was really depressed and angry about that. Yeah, you know, I mean it, it's funny, isn't it, how moods can affect you so differently um, on different occasions? Because actually that performance was better than the Chelsea one, but I was annoyed about annoyed by that one. Um, but one of the things that happened, you know, towards the end of the game, was that there were a lot of us, and I was one one of the people responsible partly for this. Um, singing um, that we needed to make a sub, and that you know we were suspicious that uh, Roy probably wasn't going to. Um, things like "Will you ever make a sub?" and "We're Crystal Palace, we do not make subs." Um, and yet, actually, you know, it was you a player who started the game, who eventually got that goal. So you know, sometimes you know maybe the manager who's got forty years. You know of a career in football management knows more than you know those of us on the terraces cursing,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's that's a given, isn't it?
3: <laughs> in reality, we don't know, yeah. We, we, well, it's a useful reminder to people, though, I think because yeah. there's so many keyboard warriors,
1: yeah. I mean, look, I, I will say this, and I've said this before on the show that just because a manager has Forty years' experience or whatever, or is a prof- even a professional football manager, and just because you've got professional football footballers, doesn't mean that supporters and fans don't make valid observations and aren't right. You know, because that again, people with football in general, people are very black and white about everything, aren't they? You are, you either know what you're talking about, or you don't, or the manager knows better. It's like, but for me, so many fans up and down the country every week watch a lot more football than. First of all, a lot of pundits do, so I I, I prefer fan content to actual pundits because I think they watch more football. But I think more importantly, you just can't write off an opinion as wrong. And you you can talk to me about how are you staying on the pitch because many people in the crowd prior to that would have subbed him. Um, And obviously, you can say that Roy is right to keep him on the pitch, but you can point to a 100 other occasions where we haven't made changes and we should have done, haven't responded to the opponents changing something in any way, shape, or form until it was too late. And these are valid criticisms of Roy. And I go back to what Patrick was saying about the lack of rotation of the squad. And and, that, mm-hmm. that, and then that informs Mike's uh, point that he was making about how certain players make the system work and you can't replace them and how Roy's backed himself into a corner there. And that goes to something that I've been saying a lot, which is. None of those fringe players, and you look at the Grimsby game yesterday, and you, you can see the evidence of it. They're, they're all trying to basically get get to full pelt in a competitive game from a standing start because they've not been used at all. We don't seem to play a, a vast amount of under-23 slash reserve football. And when we do, the, the squad doesn't seem to be particularly well used within it. So effectively, most of the work that, that a lot of the fringe players do is on the training ground and the training ground only. Um, and that's why you've seen seen the players go out that you have because that's not enough. It doesn't allow you to play your way into the team when you get an opportunity because you need five or six games before you're up to speed. It's um, That's what worries me. And to me, it is an antiquated way of, of looking at football to, to not use a squad, to use an 11 and effectively use 13, 14 players. You should be trying to use as many of the 25 as you can on a regular basis.
0: And more than that, when he does bring in players for a you know, FA Cup game or whatever, he then wants them to totally replicate what the player that is above them and playing the Premier League games is doing rather than thinking about um, how tactics should change um, in order to make the best out of Riederveld or, or whatever. So they're almost in a more difficult situation. They haven't had the time on the pitch. And then... They're trying to fit into a system that suits that he's built around a totally different squad.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that, Mike. It's again, you know, if I was a a fringe player at Palace, I'd be very, very frustrated indeed, because the likelihood of you making a real impact and getting into that team is very remote indeed. Um, but hey, look, you know, it's we're being, you know, we, we're giving him what for at the moment, but we we are you know to give it context we're doing well for a club our size in the premier league and have been for a while i like the fact we've had a bit of stability and i and i think we've got legitimate reasons to point these things out but i think you can get a bit carried away and ignore the positives as well so talking of you know the the positives so that the wolves game was the first time we'd won consecutive away premier league games within the same season since april 2017 impressive uh, only liverpool Chelsea and Tottenham have kept more clean sheets than us this season in the Premier League. That was Jordan IU's first Premier League goal since scoring for Swansea against Everton in April
0: 2018.
1: Yay. Yay. Since the start of last season, Zaha has won eight Premier League penalties, two more than any other player. And 78% of Luka Milivojevic's Premier League goals have been penalties, 14 out of 18, uh, the highest ratio among players with 15 goals in the competition. So some interesting stats there. We listened, we talked about game plan a little bit there, but one of the things that was encouraging against Wolves that I quite liked was that it was 4-3-3. It wasn't 4-5-1. It was a real stark contrast to see that against Chelsea. We actually looked to dominate possession and we pressured our opponents. And I really liked the fact that we'd been brave enough to go
0: 4-3-3. I, it really, it, you know it was easy for people to say, oh, he's had a better game because he scored. And I mean, I know he had a great first touch, but I think there would have been other players that put that away. But what he actually had the opportunity to do was what he actually is good at. So that 4-3-3 really did work because it wasn't necessarily a front man. It was almost three wingers. And it was was a proper breath of fresh air. I really enjoyed it. Um, And that, sort of did show that IU does actually have a bit of skill and could be useful so I really hope that he carries on doing it I, I think it would work regardless of the calibre of the opposition
4: and i like to add that I thought that IU touch was absolutely brilliant if you look at it again I watched the goal about 50 times Pedro Van leathers that shot and Jordan IU stops it dead with his right foot has the composure to then look Pick a spot with left foot and score i think that goal does not get enough credit i thought it was a brilliant first goal for a player to score for palace so i really gotta give him credit for that and secondly i've i haven't really given him a hard time i've mentioned in the past though to chris and other people that i thought he needed you know a singular moment which he now has and i think that He's been playing position. I got to give him credit, and I give Roy credit too. The four-three-three made him look a lot better. He worked his socks off up top. By the way, he really ran all day, chased down, uh, you know, chased down the, the defender, and you know, going to positions, you know, to, to to receive balls, held the ball up decently, and it was great to see him get that goal. I think it was well deserved. And the score again yesterday, I, I'm really hoping he pushes on. I know they've been talking apart in. Among people about sending him back. He can't do that now, obviously. I think he'll thrive now with a bit of confidence. We all know how important his confidence as a footballer, especially a forward. So I really hope he pushes on. And going on to Chris's point about the squad, I totally agree with you, Chris. I think players who don't play are given one cup game against, obviously, a, L- a League Two side. And if they don't do well, people are killing them saying, well, that's why he doesn't play. They don't play because they don't get a chance to play. You're not going to get the full speed. You will never get... Um, Quote unquote match fitness by playing in training only, and again the league's too so we dominate possession. You know how you know how is it gonna how is it, they don't do they don't score eight goals or seven goals like Man City. You're gonna look bad, and I just feel bad for people like Gyro, who I think can play, can contribute. Kelly's done a good job, so I can't comment about him. Schlab obviously in and out, he does well. You know I felt bad for Suarez. Suarez now has a bleeding shoulder injury, might keep him out for for months now. The poor, the poor guy, you know, survives a car accident and gets hurt in a, in a League 2 FA Cup match. I mean, I feel I feel really bad. But again, I think if we just use some players more, we'd see more from them and, and get more out of them. It's just frustrating to me as a supporter, knowing that I think certain players can do well. I don't know, but I think they can do well. They get done well in the past year. You know, they don't get a chance because, again, our system is so set up to do so well a certain way. And if, and if certain players don't fit in right away, like a Maya, for instance, they're out of the squad or out of the team. It goes frustrating, but again, we are doing well. I don't want to moan too much, but I just wish that, you know, more players would get a chance, especially, I'll say it again, some of the other youngster, which isn't happening.
1: Yeah, well, we'll definitely get, talk about that in terms of, because we're moving on to talk about Grimsby now. Um, obviously putting the, the league to one side for a week. And, um, you know, again, obviously, are you making a contribution there that we'll, we'll, we'll analyse a little bit more? Uh, I've, I've said, said in my... Uh, I noticed here it was cup fever because I was really surprised at the attendance. I'd obviously knew that that Grimsby had sold an absolute ton of tickets. Uh, but the fact that the, the Arthur was given, given away to Grimsby and they were only about, you know, just over 3000 shy of capacity in that stand. You look around the rest of the ground. We've, you know, I think we're probably only, well, we weren't that far from selling out. I don't think for a third round cup game against league two opposition. That is incredible. Um, and I, it's just a shame that the uh, the game didn't quite uh, live up to, I think, people's expectations.
0: And it's worth pointing out what an awesome job the HF did as well. Um, you know, it, yeah. it would have been, I think, almost any other Premier League team would have been drowned out by the amount of noise Grimsby were making. Because um, they were making a lot of noise. And... We still managed to outsing him. Um and you know that is some that's some main feat. You got five and a half thousand absolutely frenzied Division Two fans coming down, um, and they re- they really did a good job. It wasn't just the Johnny Williams banner the whole ninety minutes. Um, and once I saw all the coaches filing out, um, you know I saw quite how many Grimsby fans there were because they, they they held up outside Selhurst Station. You know, the, the coaches went past for about 15 minutes. There was a lot of them. So, yeah, really good work at the HF.
1: <laughs> now, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Obviously, you, Mike, myself and Chris, were along with D.I. Isn't, isn't on the show today. I think he's uh, he's at home drinking Dr. Pepper. Um, we had the, the, the pleasure of, of meeting up with some of the HF guys pre, pre-game, joined uh, their march to the ground and what have you. And then we're a couple of rows in front of their, their main section, in, in, in e-block which was it was a really enjoyable experience being it being in there um and i've seen a lot of contrasting views and some people with clear agendas and all that sort of stuff And i'm not sure how much i want to touch on that but i am going to say to, to you patrick the so, so obviously knowing what i know about where the microphones are positioned for tv coverage i'm guessing the grimsby fans were considerably louder than everything else
4: yeah they were um uh, the game was broadcast on ESPN Plus, which is a uh, a TV station. But you get it all I get it on the internet and get it on my TV. So yes, uh, you could hear them more, but you you could hear the rest of the, rest of the fans. Fan, which I find interesting though, is that I was on social media at the time, and I got the impression the HF weren't even there because you just said people have an agenda. But then I went on; I saw your <laughs> great clip, Chris, when you were walking into the stadium with Dion. I saw a bunch of other clips, and I thought the HF and the rest of the fans did a tremendous job of. Uh, an atmosphere. I, you know, at the end, uh, I saw the video of someone showing, you know, clap of the Grimsby players and stay behind. You could saw the the packed, um, Holmesdale and clapping everybody off. And uh, I, you know, you could hear the the uh, the Palace supporters, but you could definitely hear Grimsby more. But again, I am impression They did a terrible job. But from from the videos I saw and uh, you know watching it, I thought they did a tremendous job. I thought being behind the goal there is going to be tremendous for the, for the uh, you know for the future. Because the TV does a a job. NBC Sports always focuses on that lower left-hand corner for the HF, but yesterday it was much more on the entire ground because they couldn't do that. And I thought that the atmosphere just on the television was fine yesterday, it came across quite well.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that, you know, because again, it's difficult to kind of see who's being honest and see who's... So, you know, we, we talked about confirmation bias, didn't we, Patrick? Like, oh, yeah, yes. Last couple of weeks, <laughs> well, and, and there's there's a fair bit of that going on. And people will suggest the same of, of us. I suspect because we were we were in that that section, of course. So first of all, we all understand physics, right? Well, most people do. And your proximity to noise has an effect on what you what your experience is. It's obviously louder if you're nearer it. Um, what I observed and what I was there deliberately to observe was the effect it had on on people around. So first of all, I was in an aisle seat and the aisles were packed with people who wanted to be involved in that. Now I I can tell you that there were about 120 HF there, something like that. I might get corrected by by some of the guys, um, but I think it was about 120. When obviously you're looking at, if you're talking about a dress rehearsal for next season, you're talking about there would be 400. So it's important to recognise the context of that. And again, Mike did a good job of talking about the context of the game, that it's a game against Grimsby and most other clubs would struggle to make any kind of noise against 6,000 fans. But for me, it really did galvanise an entire group. And there's some some brilliant moments. Again, it's been a while since I've been in the Holmesdale. It's certainly been a while since I've been in, a, in an atmosphere like that, uh, that close to it. And I really enjoyed the sort of soft singing of, a song and building up to a volume and then people going absolutely crazy when the drum kicked in. It, it was just, you know, people had smiles in their faces. It was a positive atmosphere. And I think that's got lost in a bit of the bickering, just how positive and how nice it is to go to a football match and actually just enjoy the crowd. You know, if, if the football on offer is not great, which it wasn't, you've got something. And, you know, I, I had a fantastic day, despite the fact the game was pretty poor.
0: And it can be more toxic at the FA Cup and League games because you know there's a lot more people that are not usually there, um, and you do get some, you know, a few people sort of chanting stuff you don't you don't necessarily want to hear. None of that. It was all drowned out. But what I would say is that you know all of us on this pod have been uh, season ticket holders at some point, if they're not now. Um, you know, I've sat in the arbour wait for years and then moved to the Homestale you know um, sort of how much the away fans are getting to the home fans and there was every chance that Grimsby would have totally overtaken the Palace support. You know, it. you might not be able to hear them because we're standing right next to the Homesdale, um, the Homesdale fanatics and you can hear the drum and stuff, but you're acutely aware exactly how much effect the away fans are having just because you've been to the stadium so many times and it was obvious that it was a real uphill task to, to sort of drown them out and earlier in the season, you know, sort of the Liverpool game, that kind of thing, um, that amount of away fans would have totally drowned out the Homesdale. So a standing B block week in, week out, I wouldn't have really heard any of the home fans. So it, it really, if there's only 120 of them yesterday, proper sterling effort.
1: Absolutely right, and what I again, I don't want to get, I don't want to lose the fact that um, you know, obviously, again, I've I've mentioned this before, but being asked to effectively vacate a seat that you're that you feel that level of attachment to, you know, I'm not being unsympathetic to those people who have been affected by that. I think some of them, and it does only seem to be a small amount of them, need to. I don't know. It's just, it's not, it's not making you look very. I can't be sympathetic to people who are just bitching, if you know what I mean, who are just trying to find reasons of slagging people off. And there's so, you know, there's so many comments from people saying, oh, the view wasn't as good to the seat that I had to be in. And it's kind of like, it isn't about view. And to keep bringing that up just shows bloody mindedness. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say about it without, without alienating people. And I, and I don't want to do that. I just, I think if you can't look at what happened yesterday, and, and actually look at it and think oh, that's quite it's quite exciting to imagine what that atmosphere could be like and how proud we could be of our support to be for, for a not just the hf again the singing section and I, and I go back to what i was saying that the aisles were full of people who wanted to join in and couldn't get over there the stewards were having to go up and down the stairs and, and push people to one side and get them into because the, people were just desperate to get into that and be part of it and that's what you want isn't it you want everyone like-minded people to be in the same position but also for it to be in a position where it can organically spread so I, I don't get the negativity um, I understand that the individual is affected in a, in a, in a negative way it's unpleasant for you and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry that that's the case but for me I, I loved every second of yesterday uh, Chris you with us as well
3: yeah and it, it was a really special day um, you know so you know thanks to you know everyone who helped make that happen yesterday it was kind of a dry run for you know what the singing section is going to be like next year um and if that is you know something anything to go by then it's going to be a really incredible experience and i think it will boost the match day experience for everyone even those of you who you know may unfortunately be affected you know in terms of a change of seat um, it really was incredible yesterday. And the thing that I, I want to add to this conversation is just to pay tribute to, you know, the people who do the work to in the background to make make all this happen. You know, I'm, and I'm talking right from, you know, organising where the meeting point is going to be, um, to standing on the the bench outside the pub and giving a pep talk to people before beginning the march, um, and then marching down to the ground. That that was a really special experience um and you know i'd I'd really recommend that you know if you haven't seen it before um it's worth getting to a game early and seeing it when you know when this is happening because it is it was a really really special experience so credit to all the guys um and girls who made it happen well go go be part
1: of it is what i would say because you know they're 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 open the guys have been open and said that they want to they want to be inclusive to people with the singing section so we went and Went and had a go, (laughs) so um, doesn't mean so you can all you can all do exactly what we did and and go and try it out because it's the only way you know what you're talking about is if you experience those things and um, I, I can say categorically and again it won't some people it won't change their minds but there is a huge amount of work that goes on behind all of that and you know guys spending lots and lots of money going overseas and learning from other groups of support they put huge amounts of time. An effort into trying to make something special, and again, something that they are proud of, but that Crystal Palace, as a football club, could be proud of. And so we've all done that in the past. Let's let's not let's not give let's not go on about too much. But um, it was for me a really really positive experience, and I hope people get behind it. Change is always difficult to accept, particularly if it puts you out. But I think embrace it and, and try and make the best of the situation if you are negatively affected. But more importantly. You know, get yourself signed up for the singing section if you haven't done so, um, and and join it all next year, or you know, get as close as you can to it, or you know, start your own singing section elsewhere. I don't mind <laughs> whatever you do, but let's um, let's get back to a, a proper atmosphere at sellers Park, and I, I can't wait till next year. Uh, whether I'm whether I'm in that area or not, I'm not sure, but um, my name's on the list, but it doesn't doesn't mean a thing. I'm sure there's be plenty of names on that list. So anyway, it was it was great to see such a well attended game, not brilliant, um, and I think. We, we had several chances in it that could and perhaps should have given us a bit more of a comfortable scoreline. Um, and a couple of little stats for you. Jordan, are you back-to-back goals for the first time since March 2018 for Swansea? Uh, the last time we lost an FA Cup game on home soil against a side from a lower division was in 1984-85, to 85, and we lost 2-1 in the third round in a replay against Millwall. So... Yeah, the signs were were positive that we wouldn't lose that one at the very least. So the team for Palace was uh, Hennessy back in goal, Uh, Joel Ward at right-back, Kelly and Dan at centre-back, obviously Dan's first game in a long, long while. Uh, Great to see him back. Perhaps Soiree back at left-back, unfortunately injured um, and off at 36 minutes. We'll talk about that in a little bit because it was a bit of a mystifying situation. Uh, Max Meyer started with Reid and Jeff Schlupp in midfield. Uh, shut eventually moving back to left-back and Coyote taking his place after Suarez went off. Uh, Andros Townsend and Wilfred Zaha either side of a front three, spearheaded by Alexander Serlo. Uh, Speroni was on the bench, um, along with uh, Wickham Kaikai, uh, Ayu, obviously Coyote, Wan-Bissaka and Sam Woods. So plenty of changes. and It was a 4-3-3, but let's start with... um, I don't know. Do we start with Sir Lott or do we start with talking about the weird situation when soiree went off? I'm to start with the Suare thing. So he gets injured. Um, I reckon it was a full, I've, I've reckoned eight minutes by my calculations between him going off the pitch injured and us bringing on a substitute. Do you think uh, that's, that's some more trolling there, Mike?
0: <laughs> well, I think in the in the post match, someone uh, asked Hudson um, whether um, he'd lost his boots, and that was why there hadn't been uh, there hadn't been a sub. But um, apparently, it was because it, it totally knocked out his his plans that he you know the changes he was about to make, and he wasn't sure what to do. Um, either way, serious unprofessionalism. I hadn't originally noticed, and then Dr in between sips of Dr. Pepper. I um, was like, it's, it's, it's been five <laughs> minutes and we've been playing with 10 men. And I was like, have we? You know, it, it, all, all I would say in Roy's defence, it, it didn't make a great difference because despite the fact that, um, you know, I think it's Dan that's been given the man of the match. I find it I find it hard for that to be justified because literally the defenders had nothing to do. Um, you know, Kelly said in his post-match interview, his very charismatic post-match interview, um you know we could we could get up we could get up the pitch because um, we we literally didn't have any of our normal jobs to do. so I'm not sure it was too much of a too much of a problem but you know if it was eight minutes that's absolutely ridiculous
4: i'm trying I'm trying to think in my head like what was going through the manager's head you lose the left back. so what are your options you you drop schlop back to left back okay so who do you put in the midfield All right you have kiate. You know, you're playing against 10 men. Oh, maybe i put Kaiko on now. He's too young. I right, put Wickerman or Ayu on. But eight minutes? <laughs> I mean, watch it on TV. I actually forgot that he had gone off until the commentator mentioned, oh, here, uh, Kyoto coming on for Suarez because I didn't realize that he had been off for that long. So I, 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 I don't understand what took him so long. The only thing I think of, like I said, his plans were messed up, Mike, I agree. But at that point, you're playing against 10 men. You've got an extra man a league two side. I don't think I think of maybe you thought maybe I'd go two up top now. Maybe I'm not going to work the four, three, three, but that was a long time. That was, that was with, I'm with you, Chris. That was very, very strange. He's definitely trolling.
1: <laughs> I've never seen it in my life. I've never seen, I've seen, um, you you know, when you get to, it's just before half time, and the player, you, you're not sure whether you need to take them off or not. And you're thinking, actually, you know what, give, give it, Three, four exactly. minutes, it's half time, and then we've got 15 minutes to get them right. I've seen that, but I've never seen a player who's walking off at the end of the pitch where they take them to an ambulance <laughs> and and for the all the subs to still be sat on the bench and the manager standing in the tech <laughs> area watching the game. I've never I've never seen that in my life. And I, I was D, as, as Mike said, D I kept going, We've got we got we got ten men, we've got ten men, and he was making me count it. I was going, Right, look, one, two oh yeah, we, we have we have got ten men. We have. There's no, Nothing's happening on the bench. We haven't brought anyone on, and we we got we got ten men. And yeah, Mike's probably right. It didn't really make a difference, but it it was worrying. It was. He's so against making changes that he'd rather play with exactly. ten men for ten minutes <laughs> before
3: eventually. Oh, fine,
1: fine. I'll bring a sub on, but you're only giving them what they want. Uh, anyway, look, it's it's, it's that's mainly a bit tongue in cheek. That it was, you know, didn't have a, a massive impact on the game, but I just thought it was a very odd situation indeed so there were some key moments uh worthy of discussion let's talk about the red card first i had a lot of respect for for grimsby turning up in the numbers that they did certainly a huge amount of respect for their team and, and their manager who i think potentially uh, could go on to some very impressive things did a bit of research on him um before and further reading after the game just to, to get an idea of who he was and, and what he was about and he's you know, very well qualified—not someone with a with a history play in the game, but someone who's studied it intently and is um is you know very community driven and all these sorts of things. Very interesting character. Um, and I, and I thought he set up his team brilliantly, and I think their players played out of their skin. It was interesting to note that they had their two centre backs were full-backs. They had a one stage they had a left midfielder playing left back, and a, I think it was a right midfielder playing right back. It was a really a, a patched up team, but you know. In those situations, a team is always going to raise their game to a level they don't really reach, um, and they really did have to make it a an exercise in you know attack versus defence once they lost the player. But I say all of that in acknowledgement of how how all the positive things about Grimsby, but a lot of their fans <laughs> seemingly saying that that wasn't a red card and how ridiculous it was, and they booed. They they all knew it was a VAR decision, so it's someone sat and reviewed that with a in, with a camera. And decided, clearly it was a red card, and told the referee, and they boot Andros Townsend for it uh, all game. And then after the game, they they got screenshots. So it's showing it was a fair challenge, Mike.
0: Well, what I would say is, every time you hear a fan of a lower league side um, moan about stuff, the first thing they moan about is the referee in lower leagues. And they're probably just used to getting away with more stuff. But at the same time, the foul happens you know, their side of the pitch. Then there was a huge delay, which they won't be used to. Then the VAR decision obviously isn't announced. You know, they've still got to sort that out. You know, it doesn't even come up on the screen. Um, it changes from yellow to red, which, you know, is, is different. You know, probably none of us have ever seen that happen before. It's going to become regular, but it isn't now. Um, you know, thirdly, I'd seen them all outside, um, you know, round Cellar Station drinking bottles of Stella you know, way before the game, and I thought, excellent stuff. So they're obviously a bit tanked up. You, you're just going to find someone pantomime <laughs> booing. You've got to choose someone. And it. Townsend was on that side of the pitch. You know, I probably would have done the same if I was them, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and in, a, in a way, good old Andy Fox getting sent off, um, possibly the best thing that could have happened to him. Um, because that just meant that their slightly defensive game plan made made them fully defensive. And it turned into, you know, like when you watched, before the Nations League, you used to watch England play, I don't know, Macedonia. And you knew it was going to be like 2-0 by the end of the game, but you just had that attritional 70 minutes of them grinding out stuff. That's what it felt like yesterday. Um, and so it, it possibly sort of helped him in, in a weird way. And that's, that's what Kelly said in the post-match interview as well.
4: Mike, totally agree the sending off helped them they were able to pack it in do the under, underdog role man mark uh zahar and just you know just pack it in and bunch in the box that was the first thing so i totally agree with that second thing is i love vr i think it's going to be revolutionary the league needs it but the problem with that was you just said had he given me straight red i don't think your fans would have complained the fact they gave me yellow first No one knows knows in the ground what's going on. I saw it on TV. I had an idea, but I even thought initially, that's interesting. Put out the red card. I didn't realize they'd gone to VAR. So the fact that he didn't give him a straight red, I think, was the reason why they were so upset at it. And again, for a lower league, that's probably a decent challenge. But in the Premier League, you cannot go in like that. That was an awful challenge. My point being before is that I wish he hadn't played Zahar and uh, Townsend. I I was afraid of happening he could have easily broken his leg easily yeah. and that was an awful challenge so it was just, it was definitely red card but again the reason why they 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 probably didn't agree with it was because of the change from yellow to red but that was an awful challenge he deserved the red but again it definitely helped them because they could have got tonked had we gone 11 v 11 that that 10 man down really helped them from a mindset from a way they set up and the way we even attacked it i think we look the approach was different again the the sub being a perfect example playing 10 versus 10 how often probably figured you know what it's 10 versus 10 what you guys worried about so
1: yeah, nah, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, it was the right call. I think, Mike, you've you've got it spot on when you say it probably did them some favors to, to change the game like that. I, I, I saw a lot of Grimsby fans saying oh, I would have been interested to see what it would would have been like eleven v eleven. I'm convinced it would have been a, a a bit of more of a stroll in the park for Palace if it had been eleven v eleven. To be quite honest with you, I, d- I didn't see a huge amount uh, in their lineup that would have worried us in an attacking sense, and I, I think. It kind of just played into their hands to try and scrape, scrape a draw, and they nearly did it. You got to give them credit. Um, what was uh, I think? I'm going back. So Roy's comments after the game, he was he was just talking a lot about how they how strong they were defensively. Uh, he said that the VI, var call was was right, um, and he, and his view was that the only positive you got from we got from the game is we won it in the end. Uh, he said, "You spend 90 minutes bashing your head at the wall. We didn't use enough skill, but I can't criticise them for their efforts." And what he also said after the game. Was that we shows we're in desperate need for a striker, but we have got nothing in the pipeline, and that's a difference between a few games back. He's saying, you know, we we just need to convert the chances, and now it's it's become seems to have become more of a desperate need for for a striker, which was I thought interesting if slightly troubling.
0: Interesting is one way of putting it. Absolute bullshit is another way of putting. It. <laughs> um, like we've already discussed the way he plays means that it, that's not going to happen. Um, and he's already said, you know, there's no one in the pipeline. We've, we don't know who we're going to be able to sign and that nobody, no club's going to want to give away a player that they need. So that's just, uh, I, I usually love what Roy says, but that, that is one of the rare, really moronic comments. Um, and I'm hoping that he was just sort of caught off guard and he, he said slightly the wrong thing because... Um, you know, that's that's going to give the wrong impression. And the people that are, you know, keyboard warriors and moan about stuff, they're going to cling to that and they're going to use that against him. It just seems silly.
4: But in his defence, though, I'm pretty sure I heard him say in one of the uh, press conferences that he he'd like to get either Ronaldo or Messi. So if that happens, then he's done a great job.
1: <laughs> Sorry, didn't realise I was Sorry. on mute. I'm a i just chuckling away there, but yeah, don't worry, don't worry. I heard, but I just didn't say anything out loud. Um, oh, there's, there's plenty I want to talk about. I think um we, we've we got on for over an hour and a half now, and Sam's got to try and edit this before she sleeps, so we won't go on a tremendous amount longer. But I do want to talk about uh, Alexander Surlop. Um, so I'll say my piece on it first. Um, this is all with the context of him not getting an awful lot of game time. And I will say that when he joined Palace, when he joined as a um, confident, you know, positive player who was excited for an opportunity and motivated, he did, to me, he looked a couple of levels above what he looked against Grimsby. But um, although he had a header cleared off the line and, you know, a, a ball that wouldn't quite come down to him right in front of goal that the keeper ended up saving relatively well, but you could argue he should be a bit sharper. Those two moments aside, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Patrick, never gets across his marker. He was being marked by someone who was a foot shorter than him. And and all he did for a majority of the game when the ball was out wide, and this might be because people aren't crossing enough, I don't know, but he, but he stood the wrong side of that player continuously and allowed him to, to get in front of him for every ball. And when you watch that, you're watching a player who should be pushing to get into a Premier League side, who's a, who's an international striker, um, who costs a, a decent sum of money, is being paid re- pretty well uh, to be a professional footballer. And he's doing that against a League Two right-back playing centre-back. That, to me, is concerning.
3: Yeah, I, I think... I mean, when I, when I think back to what we were saying earlier on about players not getting chances... Um, in the sense of not getting the opportunity to play. You've got to look at the fact that, you know, when when Soloth came to us, he was, um, you know, he was at least third in the pecking order, albeit that, you know, Wickham in reality was out. You know, he, he was a permanent injury effectively. Um, but since Benteke's been out, you know, he has been effectively our only fit striker and he still hasn't had a run of games. So that says to me, either that the manager does have absolutely no confidence in him at all, um, or that he genuinely simply isn't good enough, or both. Um, So, you know, I mean, the third option, of course, is that he is good enough and he's just not been given a chance and, you know, it could all come right. Maybe one day we'll be looking back thinking, you know, a bit like Stan Collymore when he was at Palace and, you know, went on to be a great player elsewhere, but, you know, wasn't all that much cop for us. Mm. Um, But I doubt it. Um, I think he needs to be given the opportunity to go on loan somewhere, get some game time somewhere where he'll score goals at a lower level. And, you know, maybe, maybe he's got a future with us, but I doubt it.
4: And the frustrating thing is against some of the top sides, you see glimpses of something, but I think he's given been given, Chris's great point, has enough chances. There just isn't anything there that I can see. I'm, I'm desperately looking for a player who will outjump a smaller player He'll get in a position, and every once in a while, okay, you might get a position. Ben, take the great up, but decade for all of his faults, people would say about him, he's in a position to score goals. Yes, confidence has dropped off in the last year or so, but he's always in that position where he will get across the defender. He's a, he's a goal scorer, he's got 17 goals, obviously. But with Saw lot with that size, he's left footed. I think his work rate right is decent. I just don't see it. And, and I mean, Chris, of course, if he goes that first goal, maybe the thing changes, like Ayu's goal, but I just don't see it. And I think he's given enough chances where. He hasn't started a Premier League game this season, and it's for a reason. You know, it's, there's a reason why he just doesn't have it. He's got to go out on loan, and I don't think if he goes on loan and does well, I mean, that's good for us, but I don't think if he goes on loan, I don't think he'll do anything anywhere else either. I just don't think he's that good of a player. I think we took a flyer last uh, winter in the, in the transfer window, and it came up basically came up crap for us. We took a chance, and we just realized now he's not the right player. I just don't think he'll do anything here. I think it's better if we send him out, get someone else in, uh, take his place whether it's a loan or you know by a buyer player like a Josh Josh Major from Sunderland and just go somewhere else. It just doesn't make sense. He's not. He's just not to me. Just not good enough.
0: Well, I, I think from um, Hudson's post match press conference, he he does sound like he's going to stick with him. And I think going back to what we we're discussing about the way he uses strikers, you know, I know I know he's missed plenty of chances, but. Um, I'm not sure we're going to get the best out of him right now. Um, having said that, his header early on, you know, it's exactly what you want. It was headed from one side of the goal to the other. You know, he was, he was unlucky. It was cleared off the line. If that had crept in, you know, we'd be talking about this is the start of his renaissance. Um, he's, he, you know, he's got, he's clearly got his limitations. Um, and earlier in the season, when I was worried we were going down, I was sure that he would be, the shining light, you know, in the championship, um, he's still young. He's He's got time. Um, he's yeah, He's been yeah. thrust into the limelight in a way that other players just haven't. Um, and that's mainly because of the failings of, um, you know, people higher up than him in the pecking order. And, you know, he's pretty unlucky that IU scored two and two because I know he had that one great touch to score the first one, but really, you know, I wouldn't back him to be a worse player than IU. Um it's certainly not if the, if if you're playing as as the lone striker. Um I think he's getting a, a lot of criticism. I feel I feel quite sorry for him despite the fact he's probably earning what I earn in a year in a week. But
1: <laughs> well that's that's the thing isn't it. And I have said in in private chats about other players who will remain aimless that I don't I don't accept feeling sorry for a player as a justification for them, either keeping or winning back their place in the squad. We can all have sympathy. I think all of us want the players at Palace to succeed other than Jordan much. And I just think, you know, again, the the problem I have with... So when Serlo first first joined, I, I looked at him, I thought, you know, big, strong player, decent shot of his left foot. Just, you know, he's just got to get up to the speed of the Premier League because he doesn't look quite sharp enough. And, we, you know, we're a fair way further on now and he's never got sharper. Uh, and that that's what my concern is. But, you know, again, you're absolutely right. The thing to do is, is to loan him out. And, I, and I'm sure Roy is backing him. You know, there's a lot of people, if you read posts on the BBS or stuff on social media saying how oh, Sir Lot's a terrible signing and what was Friedman thinking? And you just think, why do you think, what, what is your assumption that it was Dougie Friedman that identified a Scandinavian player? to come and play for Palace. Do you not think that recommendation might have come from somewhere else, given <laughs> some, some other part of the club has got strong Scandinavian connections? <laughs> just just saying, you know, But there's a lot of assumptions that go on, and I, and I understand why, and I'm not stating anything categorically in case someone has a go at me again, but, uh, you know, there are a variety of moving parts that happen with any transfer, and I think it's important to recognise that every decision whatever it is and wherever it came from. You know, it's the manager that says yes or no to a player. Um so, you know, there there we are. Let's just let's just leave that there. I'm not saying you know, I'm I'm not writing Sirlock off, but I, I just think I think we need to look elsewhere for our immediate goal scoring needs. Let's just leave it at that. Um so that's that's Sirlock. Let's before we before we end and, and finish with the with a roundup of the contact, because I promised we'd do that. Um, let's one last little chat about Jordan, are you? Because I think it's fair to say Wickham's looked a little off the pace when he has played. Uh, he mentioned himself that he feels he's ready to start, but he wouldn't finish a game. Um, all I'll say on that is that we've got to try and find way, find a way of giving him enough minutes to get match fit, um, you know, given our need for strikers. Benteke's back in training. But Jordan, are you two in two goal a game in 2019? If that continues, that will be all right, wouldn't it? Um, but he's done, he's done really well with these two finishes, I think. You know, we've talked about the fact. Great touch to control the the ball uh, after um, Van Aanholt's shot. I think it's really funny when you look at the, that goal in slow motion as well, uh, Patrick. Which so I'm sure you looked at it in slow motion as many times as I have. In slow motion, it looks like he's surprised when he's controlled it. <laughs> it's just this little, it's just this little pause, and it's almost like he's looking at it again. Ooh. I'll stop that uh, before he side puts it in. I'm pretty sure that's just a quirk of, of how he adjusts his feet in slow motion, but that made me laugh. But really good header. Um, and, and let's let's give credit as well to Jeffrey Schlup. We'd had set pieces all game. Luca wasn't obviously there. The set pieces all game were absolutely awful. Um, you know every corner was poor. Every every free kick seemed to go to no one. This, you know, Schlupp took a very, very good free kick straight on the head of IU. And it was perfect form as well, the way the way he jumped and headed it down, the full body going through it. And you kind of think, if he hadn't scored that goal um, against Wolves, he probably doesn't finish that with quite so emphatically, but it was a great moment.
4: It was, Chris, and a great point. Um, I tweeted it yesterday, and you got to give Schlupp credit because it was a really good free kick. Funny thing, if you look at it before, Townsend wanted to take it and was disappointed when Schluck basically waved him away. And to me, thank goodness. But it, it really was. And I you have to give Ayu credit. Um, what I liked about him is a couple of things. One, he's been through a lot. You can tell because, you know, being in and out of the lineup and, and not doing well. Uh, watch his post-match interview against Wolves. He's a very, very serious person. But the emotion he showed after that—he cried after he scored against Wolves—and um, you know, because it meant a lot for him. And if you listen to the post-match, it talks about his family and his friends and supporters and the team and what important it was—you know—in a very serious way. I mean, the man wants to do well, and again, I'm really happy that, that he's done so well. I mean, he, if, if he, the, the pressure must be on. I don't know if you guys realize how good his father was. His father's basically the best African player who's ever played. I would say George Wayer, who actually oh, yeah. you know personally is probably the second best, or maybe the you know, out there. But his father's a brilliant player. The, and his brother is a decent player too, Andre. So the pressure he must be under to do well. And like, like I said, the emotion that he shows and I you know after scoring that goal, and again, a great point by you to get up in that vision, to make that header. Had he not scored the match before the header probably goes wide. So the confidence mm-hmm. he's gained from this I think is very is, is a great thing. I hope he continues to do well only because obviously I from a team standpoint, we need someone to step up and score goals. And, and again, he's been in and out of the lineup. And I've got to give Kochan credit, um, you know, because he could easily have not played him. I mean, he wasn't doing it. He could easily have tried to play Solon and Fiji, and I'll try something different. But he's seen something in him that, you know, others haven't seen. And, you know, I think that's got to be something that you got to look at for him scoring as much as just the player, you know, getting that one break he needed to kind of go on, a, hopefully in a little bit of a uh, you know, positive uh, streak in the next few weeks, hopefully
1: yeah definitely a confident jordan are you uh, we've, we you know he's capable of some very very good goals as well as we've seen against us on a couple of occasions as well uh, so i'm i'm really happy for him and i think a turning point for him will be the reaction you mentioned after he scored against wolves because when you see a player you know effectively break down in tears after scoring for your team you cannot help but um, Feel some affinity to him, even you know, even though that's a very personal experience for him. And you're right about his dad. I think we've mentioned it before here, but Abide Pele was superb. When I, 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 I saw a lot of him play. Uh, there's a show called Trans World Sport that used to be on Channel yep, Four. Yep. Um, you know, I think I'm obsessed about football now. I used to be far, far <laughs> worse when I was younger. I used to just watch literally anything, and I used to get up stupidly early on a Sunday and watch that watch that show religiously. And I saw so much of him play, and what a player he was. Uh, so you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, let's just jump into the contact now, gentlemen. Um, so I'll be picking on you various ways to cover the questions that we've got. So Mark Benici has just said, just sign Victor Moses, please. Uh, Chris, Victor Moses back at Palace, uh, been rumoured. Um, I've not seen anything concrete or heard anything concrete myself. Uh, I, no idea if it's even even in consideration, but would he fit in and would it be a good signing?
3: Uh, yes, he'd fit in. Yes, it'd be a good signing. I mean, he's—it's not the obvious gap in my opinion in in our squad, you know. But uh, to have an extra option at midfield, um, you know, I don't view him as a as a fullback or a defender, despite the fact Chelsea have used him that way, um, you know. But he he would give us really quality cover and the the possibility to unleash the wingers that we have pr- to play properly as wingers by playing you know someone who can play both sides very well um yeah I'd, I'd love to see him back and it, apart from anything else it would be um a fitting closing of a loop after we lost him not under circumstances where we wanted to sell him but because we were going to administration and you know we needed to get a player off the wage bill quickly
1: i saw a bit of a reaction to it online there's loads of people going oh we don't need another right back it's like come on guys <laughs> you know i know he's played right wing back for chelsea the guy's not a right back and it's not like he hasn't played. Uh, you know, he captained Nigeria in the in the World Cup from a forward position. You know, he would be he would be a forward. So, um, but you know, I'd, I'd be excited by it, but just because it's Victor, yeah. and I think it's interesting. He's one of those players who you know he had every bit the, the level of skill that you see Zaha produce, but he almost I wouldn't say he got it coached out of him, but he doesn't do that anymore. He's a very functional player when he's played elsewhere. Um, but I'd like to see him come back to Palace. and, Regain that flair uh, that that he had when he left us. So, uh, but again, I don't know whether that's a, a sort of a, a, a dream because he used to play for us, or if it's a reality, or what. Uh, this has got to be one for you, Patrick. So Chuck Myers has got in touch. I uh, said if we're looking to make a low move for a striker, how about Yusef Martinez from Atlanta uh, United in the MLS? Uh, he's obviously pointed out the MLS season's over and we might they might be open to it. Um, done a little bit of a look look online, scored a ton of goals. Venezuelan, international, what
4: do you reckon? He's absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, as I would fully admit, the MLS quality um, is not Premier League quality, but there are players that can play in the Premier League. And Joseph Martinez is the one that can definitely play. The only issue with him is that we talked about the way that we play, our style of play. He reminds me a lot of Dwight Gale. He's about 5'7", but he's a prolific scorer. He's scored 45 goals so far in 51 matches for Atlanta United, who just won the MLS Cup. He's a brilliant player. I love him as a player. I just don't think he'd fit into our system one bit. And I think, honestly, he could probably go to a higher team and Everton even an Arsenal, he's that good of a player. He's really, he's the league MVP. He's a brilliant player. I don't think, he's even on our radar. We wouldn't look at a player like this, but because of a style of play, but he is a phenomenal striker. I'd love to see him in the league, just in general. We got him, I'd love it, but I don't think there's a chance he'd come to Palace. But again, he's a really good player. It's a great shout uh, by that person, but I just don't think it would work out for us as far as, again, our style of play. Great player though.
0: I, I I would add that, I think that the striker that would suit us from the MLS is Giovinco from Toronto. Another brilliant player. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, he he does all the running, and he would he would fit. You know, Palace faithful would absolutely love him. And whereas I, I think you're right. I don't think I think Martinez is off for for better things. I think he's going to end up somewhere somewhere big. Um, you know, Giovinco has been at Toronto now for quite a while, and. He doesn't get the recognition. He doesn't even get picked in the Italian squad because they don't think the MLS is a proper league. Well, that's rubbish. Um, he's someone that I've hoped for for ages, but it, it doesn't seem like players come this way. You know, it's the players go over to America and not the other way around, which is depressing.
1: Sorry, Sam, Sam's moaning in some chat about the fact she's still got to edit and we're still going, but uh, I'm just going to drag it out now. I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> I'll try and cover a last couple myself before asking Chris to start us off on on the the last major chat, um, which, which we need to sort of stick to about five minutes. So Chris Chantry, Chris Chantry, I don't know how I've pronounced that wrong when it's my name, Chris, but there we go. Uh, We've been linked with Nias again. Uh, Why do you think we keep targeting Wolf? Uh, are you wolf types and roy's preferred tactics better suit a target man is dead. board choice or just what's available Ian flux has said it's lazy journalism but um obviously chris is pointing out it's rumored we put a six million bid but first of all it's clear that the scouting department and the uh people making the decisions do rate in the ass it's uh, i think steve parish has gone on record and saying he's a palace type of forward uh that he's the sort of player that we would like because he You know, he runs hard, chases everything down, chases lost causes and, you know, has has had runs of goals. So I would say, first of all, he's not a bad player. And if we were to sign him, I wouldn't be that against it. I think we've talked an awful lot about what the tactics do and don't suit. and I'll be honest, I'll go back to what we were saying before and say I've got concerns about any striker that comes in, whether or not they're going to be the right kind of striker. Um, Again, I'll just say not against it, uh, but I think we keep targeting the same types of players because... There's a finite list of players who are available and are rated and known enough about that they'd make an impact as a January signing. I think you've got to remember January is a transfer window. It's all about people who can make an impact straight away. Um, And we've fallen down in the trap of buying players who can't make an impact straight away and and it being a real waste. You know, Rakip, Yak sir lot. <laughs> you know we we've got a history of getting these players who don't make an impact and it, you know you rightly get criticism for that and obviously we've we've pulled out of the Solanke deal because I mean you've seen it now they pay Bournemouth paid 19 million for him and he's not fit till February so you know we, we are obviously being asked to pay a very high, high loan fee uh, I'm sure there was probably discussions over uh, signing fees at the end of that loan as well but I think we we determined he wasn't right because he wouldn't be able to have a, an immediate impact. But I think that's probably the right call to make there. So uh, I know it's a bit of a roundabout way of answering that one. Uh, Vince Flynn mentioned just no more Doctor Peppers as one of his comments. Um, so there was no there was we're light on Doctor Pepper this week because DR's not here. Um, but he's also asked Will Wickham fire. I think Wickham's got to get minutes. Difficult one. And finally, Stephen Atwell has said Fulham a link with. Uh, you should think that's supposed to be De Origi. I think Derek Origi is someone else. For 15 million quid, is that a deal worth doing? Very good striker. Whether he'd fit in, again, has got to be the question. Uh, I think he's got plenty of energy. Very, very quick. Good finisher. If 15 million quid, if we've got it, not against it. I'm not sure we'll be spending that much money on one player, though, it's my gut feeling. So, finally, Chris, start us off. Charlie Turner, is Zaha's heart in it anymore? Is he being allowed to play to his strengths and ability? Are we selfish to hold him back from proving his potential at a top club?
3: Right. Zaha. Um, yes, of course, his heart's in it. You know, he's he's understandably, and in my opinion, correctly been frustrated at being played out of position. Um, you know, you, you can see that, and he does express his emotion very much he's an, he's an open book um understandably people have been frustrated by you know him not just knuckling down and getting on with it but on the other hand you know as we we discussed earlier on didn't we that you know everyone's entitled to an opinion you know yes the fact that the manager is a professional and has 40 years and experience doesn't mean that he can't get things wrong and at the moment you know i mean wilf is on quite a poor run in terms of impactful performances and goals um you know, so something needs to change. Are we being selfish in keeping him here? I would say not, of course not because, um, you know, we love him. We want him to stay. Obviously in due course, another club will come in, I'm sure. And it will be a really big club and he'll get a chance to shine at the, on, you know, at the highest level. But, it's got to be the right offer at the right time for him and for the club, and I'm not seeing any evidence that he's agitating for a move. All I'm seeing is that um, he's frustrated with the way we're playing, and frankly, so are we all.
1: Categorically, we've never had a proper bid for Wilf. So when people say we're keeping him here, we're not. You know, the only I think the only bid we've had in recent times was from Spurs, which I think. Was some derogatory, ridiculous fee yeah. about eighteen million quid or something ridiculous like that. So we aren't we aren't keeping him here as such. I think it's a difficult deal to do for anyone because there's a large sell on fee to Man United, I believe. Uh, if we were to let him go, so you know we've got it's really got to be worth our while to sell him. But I think going back to so I, I had a debate with Dr. a few weeks ago on, on Love Sport with this, and Dr. was adamant that he was in bad form, and and I have a problem with that because. He's not in bad form, in my view. He's not in top form. You know, he's not he's not at his best. And you can see against Grimsby, he's just trying too hard now. He's trying too hard to get it back because he's taken on one too many players. He's running himself into cul-de-sacs. He's just got too much attention. And we're trying to, we're trying to play through him too much in the wrong areas. And part of that has been because he's been leading the line uh, more often than not. But again, if you look at his recent form, I think people have got such high expectations of him. You know, the, the performance against Wolves from him was excellent, but it gets kind of missed because he didn't tear Grimsby apart. But then if you watch him against Grimsby, he was absolutely manhandled continuously by their whoever their number eight was. He did a really good job on him, but just wrestled him the whole game. Just, And I think you're right, Chris, when you say that Wolf has been frustrated and it has affected his game. But I, I personally, for me, it's just been a little bit overplayed.
0: I think what he does is something that doesn't get noticed anywhere near enough. Is that he is such a high-profile player that um, you know they they constantly got two people on him, and there's no coincidence that he's had less impact in the last month or so or six weeks. And Townsend has ended up player of the month. Um, So there's some games where okay, he's he's blocked out, but that's that's at the cost of letting the rest of our sides have that extra minute on the ball. That's why Mil- Milivojevic has, has had so much more time recently. That's why he, he had a shot that almost went in because he, he had the time to, to run to the edge of the box. This is why Townsend's been able to get in for tonnes of crosses. Wilf is taking up the pressure that eases off everyone else. So to say his heart's not in it, I think it's more. it's very difficult to judge just him, it's got to be taken in the context of the entire team and a bit like Benteke held up the ball and we didn't realise until he was out injured, Wilf is taking on so much pressure, he's taking on all the abuse from the away fans, he's doing so much and it may not be what you're used to watching Wilf doing but he's doing it damn well and I'd be moaning as well because if you're going to get booed every time you touch the ball you're going to be agitated but I think he's been doing pretty well recently personally.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's fair. It's just, again, he does set high expectations and we all want to see, you know, the Zaha that dances past three people in one move and puts a a perfect ball in. Yeah, just to kind of address the, the Grimsby game, he actually put in probably two or three very good crosses um, when he was actually able to get get space. I think, I say, I just, it's one of those, isn't it? He, he seems to be the target for Flack at the moment and why it's been perceived as a kind of lack of professionalism or something along those lines. It, it, I find that a little bit distasteful given how much he's given this club over the years. Um, and I think people just have to be a little bit more accepting of a player whose form drops because every footballer in the world has, you know, has, has an up and down kind of, uh, graph, if you like, of their form between when they're at their best and when they're not at their best. And I think Wilf's contribution even when he's not at his best is significant to, to, to Crystal Palace.
4: And I'd have to add that I agree with both you and Mike, Chris, and I think it's interesting I'd hate to leave it like that, but how people find certain players to moan at when they're not playing 100% you know on top of the game I just find it very interesting which players people will always pick out as saying oh he wants to leave or oh, he's not up to what he's doing i think wolf has done a fine job this year he has not been on form every match if you watch the games properly like mike points out he's he's been doubled he's been fouled he's been booed and as a normal person how do you react to that your form drops i thought it was great against wolves yesterday i didn't think he overplayed but it wasn't anything I wasn't expecting. I think he wanted to prove, prove something and, and do better. He put some good balls in, like you said. I just think, again, people like to moan at him. It's a shame that a player who's from the area, who's heart and soul is in the team, only left because he basically had to leave, didn't do well, came back, and has done tremendous for us. Why people look for silly things like, apparently the biggest news thing is now he and my don't get along, which is absolutely ridiculous. All of a sudden, they don't get along. They're playing great together. Um, And now, all of a sudden, people are trying to act like, "Oh, they don't get along," in this Wolf's fault. I just find it distasteful, and it's embarrassing to me.
1: Oh, they, they, yeah, I love ridiculous. that conspiracy because Wolf, Wolf had a go, Wolf had a go at mine right. for shooting and not passing <laughs> in one game once. And then, then apparently, when he went over to the bench to talk to Hodgson, it was to tell, yeah, Hodgson because people can see that off, from which, as far as they are exactly.
4: Hodgson.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what happened. And Yeah, now it's a conspiracy. Um, <laughs> I don't know, honestly, people are nuts, but. um, Look, you know, Wilf is Wilf is Wilf. I, I do, I do feel that, you know, if if the opportunity comes up for him to move to a bigger club, it would be a good move. Personally, I think he should get the hell away from England, go and play. Okay. A ball, but I've always said that. Uh, go go and play in the top division in Spain or uh, or even Italy or somewhere like that. Go and enjoy your football. Get away from all this rubbish uh, where people boo uh, a player who doesn't dive every week for diving. It's uh, pathetic. Um, I think the. the this division and certainly Palace will be poorer for the loss of him. But fingers crossed we get to see more of him for uh for a fair while yet. Anyway, we've done nearly two hours. I promise it wouldn't be that when Patrick <laughs> said earlier I was on right. this is gonna be a two hour <laughs> show. No, not gonna be a two hour show. You're absolutely right. But I'm gonna finish it before we hit the two hour mark. So thank you very much for every- ah, stop it, stop interrupting me. Thank you for everyone uh, who's listened today. Thanks to Sam for producing who's gonna be up for about eight hours yet. Um, needs to sort the volumes out as well before she releases the podcast. Uh just saying. Um also thank you to my panel, to Patrick, to Mike and to Chris. Um, check the website, nest.com Preview show will be this week, midweek sometime. Uh Tuesday is Love Sport uh live. Check the internet and stuff to listen live or the podcast will be out shortly after that. That's everything. Brilliant. See you later. Bye. It's the ninetieth minute.